Welcome to the Legally Bliss podcast. This podcast reclaims and rewrites the stories female attorneys have been told about how we should practice law, grow our businesses, treat our clients, treat ourselves, dress at the office, balance our families with work, and craft our identities as female attorneys. We'll hear inspiring stories from current and former female attorneys and how they've proactively chosen to do career and life differently. The ones who question the stories they've been told, the ones who aren't afraid to live boldly and step into their own power. We'll learn from women who define success on their terms and not what society or big law has prescribed for them. We'll learn from these women how to deeply question the stories we tell ourselves about ourselves. Through lighthearted and curious conversation, we'll impact the challenges these inspiring female attorneys have already navigated to inspire you. So join me on this journey. You'll be empowered and ready to rewrite a completely new story about what is possible for you. Well, hello there and welcome to Legally Bliss Conversations Conference Room which is a regular roundtable where lady lawyers get together to discuss an impactful subject matter that we think will help our audiences navigate life and law. And today we're talking about how we navigate failure. My name is Susie Hickson and I'm a trademark attorney and the founder of Legally Bliss Community. After having practiced law for over 20 years in both big law and now with my own boutique practice, I've worked with a lot of lawyers and I have many female lawyer friends. And I've learned that while female lawyers are incredible advocates for other people, they seem to not always be great self-advocates. Hence, Legally Blessed was developed to give lawyers a platform to network and collaborate and support each other, all while learning and integrating the Bliss method to become more fierce and powerful advocates, not just for others, but also for themselves. So the BLISS method is an acronym for boundary setting. L is for leveraging legal tech. I is for integrating creativity. S is for self-confidence. And the other S is for support and community, which of course is exactly what Legally BLISS does. So today I'm excited to discuss with a few Legally BLISS community members about a subject that I think falls under self-confidence, even though it might seem a little um, counterintuitive. And that's being able to navigate failure and coming out on the other side of failure with a net positive. And something like that really does require an element of self-confidence. We'll talk about the importance of resilience, the power of vulnerability, the role of our mindset, strategies for moving forward after we've had to deal with failure, and the importance of self-compassion. And to continue learning about self-confidence, and other strategies to become your own fiercest self-advocate, make sure you subscribe to this YouTube channel and hit the notification bell. And of course, share it with your friends. And today I'm so excited to talk about um, this subject matter with a few of my friends Mm -hmm. and fellow lawyers, Amanda Stark, Claire Parsons, and Sarah Ovando. And I would love to give each of them a few minutes to tell us a little bit about themselves. So let's start with you, Amanda. What you working on? 
Yeah, hi, Susie. Thank you for having me back. Uh, and at this roundtable, I'm excited to be here with you and all of these other lovely ladies. So my name is Amanda Stark. I am a certified life coach and human design expert, and I help women discover and live according to their purpose and get off of autopilot and start living life again. Uh, my legal background, make sure I give that I forgot last month when we did our round table, <laughs> is I spent 15 years as a healthcare compliance attorney in a very small corner of the law. So I basically made a life out of following the rules. And now I help women break the rules and live life according to their own rules and not according to society's conditioning. So thank you so much for having me on. Thank you so much for being here, Amanda. Sarah. Oh, okay. Hello, everyone. <laughs> I, <laughs> uh, my name is Sarah Vondo. I am the partner, one of the partners at Ovando Bowen LLP. It's a firm that I have with my husband. So yes, I work with my husband on a daily basis. Uh, <laughs> we are a full service transactional and litigation firm in California. I've been an attorney since... 2016. I'm also the co-founder of a cruelty-free beauty boutique called Indie and Ari. And but prior to becoming an attorney, I was actually an esthetician since I was 18 and also a yoga instructor. So I have worn many hats and I'm also a mother, which I'm very, probably my proudest because I love my baby and I think she's watching. Hi, Tigra. Mommy loves you. Hi. <laughs> And I think that all of those experiences that, you, that you've had, Sarah, including being a mother, makes you an even better lawyer. So welcome, and I'm really excited to um, talk with you about how we navigate failure. Claire, welcome. Tell us a little bit about you and what you're working on. Yeah, um, thanks for having me. Uh, I'm Claire Parsons. I'm an employment uh, municipal uh, and a, a litigation attorney in Cincinnati, Ohio. I almost forgot one of the practice areas for a second. Sometimes that happens. Which, which kind of lawyer am I today? Um, and then I am also a mindfulness and compassion teacher, um, the founder of the Brilliant Legal Mind blog and the author of two books now. So one is called How to Be a Badass Lawyer. It came out last year. And the new one that's coming is called Mommy Needs a Minute, um, which is about a mom who needs a minute to meditate and is trying to convince her to convince and negotiate with her kids about getting that. So I'll need to read that then. Yeah. <laughs> It's a, a fun thing. I, I came up with the words and my friend draws and it just came together. So I'm thrilled about it. I'm thrilled for you. I'm so excited for you. And just a little thing about Claire, one of the first times that we ever spoke and we, we were doing the podcast and you put it out into the world that you wanted to write a book. And this is before your first one came out. And then it was within a year you'd, you'd been published. So I'm really proud of you and excited for you. And i I'm so excited about this next book that you have coming out. So we're going to be watching. <laughs> Thanks. No pressure. <laughs> yeah, let us know. I think I think all the mommy attorneys would be excited for it. 100%. So excited for it. So let's talk about navigating failure. Um, Elon Musk said that failure is an option here. If things are not failing, you are not innovating enough. So he clearly takes a perspective that failure is a necessary element on our path to success. And when I think about failure, I often think about the video of him when he came out with the Cybertruck. Um, and he was talking about how, you know, these windows won't break and how great this truck was and it can 
sustain, you know, a baseball thrown at it. And then the baseball was thrown at it. And this was like public, right? It was, it was live. And, you know, there were hundreds of thousands of people watching, I'm sure. And probably hundreds, if not thousands of people in his audience. I'm not quite sure, but it was live. And the ball came out and the windows crushed. And that, you know, I was just thinking, I would be absolutely, I think I would be absolutely devastated if something like that happened. And he was just like, oh, well, you know, we, we've got more work to do. You know, and he just, <laughs> he just navigated that with such, you know, stoicism, I guess. I was so kind of in, just floored by that whole thing. Let's talk about that. Let's talk about how um, we navigate um, failure. I'm going to start with you, Amanda. Do you believe that? Um, it, is it necessary that we, experience failure in life? Yeah, I definitely think so. I think like exactly like that. If we don't, we don't learn like all of the things that we have that are amazing in the world started with failure. And I actually just finished reading uh, Julia Child's uh, My Life in France book, which is a lot about how she created her first cookbook that kind of launched her into fame. And so much of that was taking recipes and failing. Like they didn't turn out the way that she wanted yeah, them yeah. to, right? They didn't taste like they did in the restaurant that she was modeling it after. And, you know, she ended up with 600 pages of successful recipes that are still used all of these years later, still considered, you know, the top quality uh, in French cooking, but she couldn't have done that unless she was willing to fail. And part of the book talked about one of her partners, her co-authors in that first cookbook didn't want to fail, right? Like she just wanted it to be like, okay, I, I wrote this down. And, and so this should be good, which if we think about that, like if that was the book that had gotten published, nobody would be talking about that cookbook because the recipes wouldn't have held up. So, you know, kind of a similar thing to the Elon Musk story, not as public because she put a finished final product. But I think a lot of times we take those internal failures or those private failures and make it mean that we can't put something out in the world instead of just saying like, oh, it's just not ready yet. Let me just keep working on it until it gets there. So I do think it's absolutely necessary to experience failure. I love that example. I'm going to keep that in mind too about Julia Child's um, cookbook. So <laughs> whenever I'm just feeling that resistance to do something because I'm, you know, concerned that it's not going to work. Um, sometimes we have to do it, whether we do it in private or public, like Elon um, often does. You have to remember that Elon's probably doing a lot of having a lot of failure in private too, that we just, we just don't see. Um, but that was just a good example of a public failure, a very public failure. And thank you for that example, Amanda, from Julia Childs. What about you, Sarah? Well, you know, when you told that story and I remember it, I, I, I'm a very type A person. And the only thing I could think of is that they not test it out first before going public. <laughs> like that's, you know, you have systems in place. And one of them is making sure if you're going to be doing something like that, that you test it out. And I get it. Sometimes things happen. But um, I think. I don't even, you know what I learned as a new mom, right? With our kids, what do we say? We, at least I, I mean, at least I do, right? It's like, oops, it's okay. You know, because, and then I've taken that mindset even at work, at, even with anything with, um, you know, my husband or my family or whatnot, it's like, it's okay. Mm -hmm. It can always be fixed. You can always buy a new one. You, you know, at the end of the day, it, no one's dying. Right. And I think you get a lot of perspective, at least for me, the perspective was 
brought like just so much more focus when I became a mother and realized, you know, a lot of these failures, there's just accidents, right? It's not going to, nothing's going to really be detrimental. And we just got puppies and they have destroyed our house. I'm like, oh my God, I'm failing. I can't even train them. But it's like, I also have a you know full-time job, business owner. And so I use that same mindset, right, with my daughter, like, oops, oh, well, I guess I'm just going to have to buy a new couch. I got to work harder to buy that new couch. But what am I supposed to do? Just, you can only just try to shrug it off. But yeah, I mean, failure, you know, accidents, they're just part of life and you literally can't avoid them at all. So, you know, just got to accept, you know, that they're there. There, I always ask myself, well, not always, but I try to, one thing I try to think about is what's the worst that can happen, right? If I do this thing. And a lot of times it, what I realize is it's an ego. It's my ego. Or you like, I'm scared. I'm worried about what people will think or what they'll say. And you know, that right there in itself, (laughs) just need some more mindset work (laughs) Uh, because at the end of the day, it doesn't really matter. Um, But I think that, asking ourselves when we're getting ready to start something new or put something out in the world, whether it's like a new lead magnet or start a business or whatever, we need to ask ourselves, okay, what's the worst, what's the worst that's going to happen, right? Mm-hmm. I'm going to publicly like destroy my cyber truck on camera in front of millions of people. Like what? Probably. <laughs> probably not. <laughs> and, and the thing is most people, like even if someone does have an opinion or is like, that was the dumbest thing Susie has ever put out. Can you believe she did that? They're not going to remember it in a week anyway. <laughs> yeah, especially not nowadays. Not nowadays, right? We always have so much content coming at us. That's on, people are just on to the next thing. So what about you, Claire? Let's talk about failure. Yeah, and um, I'm an employment lawyer, so I'm going to tell you Elon Musk has had some fails. Like, I'm just going <laughs> to say. Like, so uh, I'm not necessarily sure, like, for one of the things I think I, I would like to point out is that there's kind of a toxically positive view of failure that it doesn't exist, right? That we never really fail because we never, you know, are really at the end. And I think that's a tempting mental construct to go tempting. along with. Yeah. But for most of us, it's not really real because for most of us, unlike Elon Musk, we aren't, you know, shielded from the full effects of that failure by billions of dollars and a lot of, you know, people around us that do our work. So, for most of us, failure is a reality, truly. Um, and the, the reality is that that sucks. It just really hurts and it can shoot your confidence in some circumstances. If it's bad enough, it can, you know, even leave some lasting marks. So let's not minimize it. Um, and I think we also have to be aware that failure for women is perceived still differently than it is for men. It doesn't mean we can't do it. And I think part of what we have to do as women is to understand the difference between some of the signals and things we might implicitly pick up about life, about our um, inability or the permission we don't have to fail and understand that we are grownups and we are our own women and we can actually make that choice to do so. Um, And I can tell you it's one of like the most liberating things that I've ever experienced. Um, I really do like Amanda's reference to Julia Child. I'm a chef and one thing that I, I like to note about Julia is I think the reason people like her and she had the impact that she did was that she did fail, not just in private in testing recipes, but on screen. You know, she would drop the chicken. She would make mistakes. And that's what people liked about her because they realized that 
French cooking is not so perfect and maybe you can make mistakes and be human. And so I think her, her willingness to fail in public is, is why we love her. Um, and I think that's actually true for a lot of us too, because when we work hard and we're trying something new, most people, most good people whose opinion you care about are gonna see that and they'll try to help you and support you as you get through it. Um, but failure sure sucks. And so if you struggle with it, I think it just makes you human. Um, and that means reach out and seek some support. Okay, I love that because it kind of goes to the power of vulnerability when it comes to navigating failure and embracing it, um, you know, and it can actually be really empowering when we share our failures with others, right? It helps us feel less isolated. It um, provides a sense of community. And I'm just now sitting here thinking about our community, Legally Bliss, and how I have like specific, a specific space for share your wins but now i'm thinking like what if in our community we have a, a space that's share your failures right like there's there is power in that so i'm curious how you all have overcome sort of your fear of being vulnerable and whether you have and how you do share your failures with others i'll go backwards claire well <laughs> um, jump in it's yeah, um, I'm trying to decide which which failure to talk about. Yeah, right. <laughs> which of the list? Um, so I think one of the things that I've recently kind of really been thinking about um, is this last year I've changed firms, um, and that was a huge leap for me. I was at my own firm, my old firm, for a long time, and it, it's kind of switching up practice areas, and there was some change with that. And then I wrote my book at the same sort of time as I was transitioning, and so. I've had a lot of occasion to confront my doubt voice, which my meditation practice has shown to me is very strong and is not going away anytime soon. And so one of the things that I remember thinking along the, this, this road is, well, what if my book doesn't sell any copies, right? Or what if I totally fail in this new firm? Or what if it doesn't work out? And so in the book, it's kind of just like, I'm going to write anyway. So if my book doesn't sell any copies, I'll probably just write another one. You know, I've already done that. So, yeah. you know, big deal. But like when it comes to my law practice, one of the things I've kind of learned to flip it around is that I love myself enough to try something new and be willing to fail. And seeing it that way is like, um, it's just kind of empowering instead of like, you know, maybe I do fail or maybe things don't work out, but it's not like I'm totally without friends or resources or allies or anything. And, you know, loving myself enough to try something, to, to jump out of the airplane and wait for the parachute to open, you know, that's a hugely empowering feeling. Um, so even with the fear, I think can come a huge sense of empowerment um, and you can learn a lot about yourself. That's a really good point, Claire. Like, what can we learn about ourselves as we go through this, even, even if we end up experiencing the failure, right? Like what can we learn about ourselves as we go through that? It's sort of like one of those ancillary byproducts as we strive towards certain goals. And even if we don't reach our goal, we still have benefits for having uh, pursued the goal. And, you know, I think it's important to kind of ask ourselves if we're feeling that resistance to proceeding um, with a like setting a certain goal and working towards it, um, you know what would what would my future self what does my future self want? Like what would my well my future self well well my you know Amanda or Sarah or Claire or Susie 
in five years, like look back and say, dang it, you really should have gone after that, right? You should have risked feeling the fel failure. Or even if you did feel the failure, your future self is going to be like, hell yeah, I tried that. It didn't work, but I'm a better person for it. Yeah, I read um, that a lot of people <clears throat> uh, in their older years or on their deathbed are often thinking about the things they should have done, not the things that they did do, right? And um, like Claire, I am I'm definitely, even though I'm a type A, before having a child, now I'm a little bit more um, risk averse, but before I'm like, let's do it. Let's go. <laughs> you know, I definitely, um, and I want to credit my mom because she's such a powerful force in my life and my rock. So <clears throat> I don't know if I would have been like that if I didn't have that, but um, I'm, you know, she's always encouraging me and like, and right, esthetician, yoga, attorney. <laughs> She's like, you got to stick to something because I wanted to do everything. I love everything. So I'm like, let's just go. Let's see what happens. Like Susie said, like, what's the worst that could happen? Right. Um, you, if you don't sell a book, okay. But that doesn't mean you didn't, you didn't write. That didn't mean you didn't write the book, which is far beyond what anybody else has done that you're in a category of very, a small percentage of people who have actually written a book. So even if you don't sell any, that already is a huge accomplishment. I mean, I've been saying I'm going to write a book forever and I have yet to, you know, actually do it. So <laughs> you're years ahead of me. Um, but I'm definitely, uh, I think when you have a, and, you know, good support system, um, at least for me, it was, it's very easy to jump into things um, and not think about whether or not it's going to work out. And I'm very lucky. And I know not a lot of people have the same support system that I do. Um, but yeah, I'm definitely, I love jumping into a new project, a new business, whatever. Not, not so much anymore because now I have a child to feed, but. <laughs> I think once you have children, you know, that makes the kind of the risk analysis a little bit different, right? <laughs> As opposed to when you're not trying to keep another human alive. But like exactly. I've always said, what is the worst that can happen? And maybe the worst that could happen is that I end up living in a van down by the river. Like, <laughs> that wouldn't really be that bad. I mean, especially nowadays, the vans I are very nice. I love the vans are very nice. You Look at a very nice van. There's some beautiful rivers that you can access, you know, and I love nature. So I'm like, you know what? That might be pretty cool. So <laughs> exactly. Or living somewhere else, somewhere, you know, uh, less expensive than the United States. That's a lot true. of people I know have uh, moved abroad. Yeah. Yeah. Because the cost of living is so much. So what about you, Amanda? Let's talk about uh, kind of that vulnerability and being vulnerable. Yeah when you're working through your failures. Yeah, so a couple of things. First, I just wanna to touch on something Claire said a few minutes ago about how failure for women is perceived differently, right? Like just in, in just the example that came to mind when she said that, like if a woman invests in a business, her own or someone else's, and the business is not successful, the woman is deemed bad at investing or bad at making choices or bad at managing money or whatever, where, men who are make up the most of investors like the highest percentage of investors don't get that title assigned to them or that 
you know, thought assigned to them just because like, oh, that's part of it. Sometimes you win, sometimes you lose. No big deal. Right. Where women aren't given that kind of grace. So I do think it's important to put it in that context for this community of women. But in terms of navigating failure and vulnerability, like I've been divorced twice. So I can easily say like I failed at marriage. I failed at relationships. Like it's easy to put that title on it or to have that thought. And then I think it's easy then to say like, oh, so I shouldn't try again. Right. Or I should just be single for the rest of my life. Like I tried it. It's over. Right. No, like no future success. But, you know, I also think kind of what we've talked touched on too is opportunities to learn, right? Like to learn and to be okay with making those choices, even if it could be deemed a failure by someone else. Like I've actually been thinking about that a lot this week because this weekend would have been my 18 year anniversary with my first husband. And man, I am so glad that that is not the life I'm living. (laughs) Future current me is so happy that past Amanda made that choice all of those years ago, 12 years ago, or whatever it was now that I'm not still living that life thinking, what if, right? Because I think that's the flip side of it. Sometimes like sometimes failure can be outside of our control or right, like things we didn't anticipate. But sometimes it is making a choice and then saying like, okay, that didn't work and I want to move on and being okay with that being a quote failure. I think that's really important to acknowledge too, that that's okay. Like we don't have to stick with something just for the sake of it being a success if it's not the success that we actually want. Yeah, I think that term like someone being a failure is terrifying. And I think that we have to be very careful about using that because we do tend to talk, have negative self-talk, right? Where we say like, oh, I'm a failure. Um, And we talk to ourselves like worse than we, (laughs) or we talk about ourselves worse than we would an enemy, right? Sometimes we get just that negative self-talk can be so intense. So be really careful about calling yourself a failure. Amanda, um, I, one thing I, I'd love for you to touch on a little bit now that I have you, and you talked about, um, you know, having been through t- uh, two divorces, I want to talk about resilience and how it's sort of that, that critical component of ultimately overcoming um, failure, because we know that failure is inevitable. And, um, how we respond to failure defines future success. So I'm curious, what are some strategies, Amanda, and, and also for Sarah and Claire that, that you've all dealt, that you all have used to help you build resilience um, when you're dealing with failure? Yeah. So, you know, I think specifically with my divorce, I'll keep using that example, right? Is like both times it was making the decision to be resilient and that I would be okay. Like women, I think less so the younger generation. I don't think my daughter, my teenage daughters think this, but like, you know, women my age and certainly older definitely were raised and conditioned to believe that you couldn't do it on your own, that like marriage was essential and that you needed someone else. And so like to just say like, oh, I'm going to choose not to be in that type of partnership or to have someone else helping me out, you know, is a big decision that does involve not only like personal resilience, but like, depending on your background and culture and how you were raised, like I know for me, there was a lot of like resilience in the face of judgment too, of like, you know, why would you purposely make that choice? Like why, you know, you're going against 
what God wants and whatever, like all of, all of the stuff that can come up when you make choice, like personal choices like that. So I think for me, it was just saying like, this is what's best for me and nobody else needs to understand, which is easy to say and much harder to actually put in practice. But I think especially after my second divorce, which I had already been introduced to coaching and some more like mindset tools than I'd had previously after the first time, but was just really getting okay with where I was at in life. Like, even if nothing changes, like even if I'm never in a relationship again, this is what I'm okay with. Right. And I really spent a lot of time doing that work of like how I could still be proud of myself, how I could still be successful, how I could still like be okay with my choices. Even if this was like, I hate to say it this way, like if this is all there is, right. Is like me in this like post-divorce bubble. If this is all there is, how can I be totally okay with that? So I think then that's something you can use in any situation, whether you're like worried about failure, so you're not taking a chance on something that you want to do or afterwards, right? When you're in the like, what can I learn with this from this? This really sucks, like that phase of it. I think you can use that kind of work regardless is to say like, how can I decide that this is okay? Like, even if nobody else agrees, even if it doesn't feel great, even if it's not how I planned, how can I be okay with where I'm at? Mm. I bet you do a lot of coaching with people around that, helping them be okay with that, like where they are yes. and what decisions that they make. All sorts of decisions. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> the good ones and the bad ones. <laughs> yeah, totally. So let's talk a little bit about the role of mindset. Now that we're talking about um, decision, making decisions and um, this is something, Amanda, I know that you work with a lot of your coach as a coach on and, you know, Claire, you're, you know, I know that mindset is an important subject matter to you. Um, how do you all sort of adapt like a growth mindset or whatever the appropriate mindset is to help us kind of reframe failure um, as an opportunity for, for growth in learning? And I, I'll go with um, Claire on that one because I'd love for you to touch on um, the mindset and, of course, meditation, which I know is super important to you. Yeah. And I, I don't know if um, I was sort of mentally preparing to answer the last question. And so I might kind of veer back into that. Okay. So I apologize. Sorry, I jumped onto another question. I, no, I, you, you're I, fine. Um, it's just they intersect a lot too. Um, so yeah. I, I think like the way that mindfulness really helps me with some of these issues is I, I think there can be a very um, strong tendency for high achievers um, to sometimes mentally check out on the realities of what failure is. So we can do that in a variety of ways. One way we might do that is to tell ourselves it's not that big of a deal. Um, another way we can do that is to sort of start the self-analysis and growth process too soon um, before we've really like healed and you know accepted it. Um, and so I think that one of the first things I do with my mindfulness practice is just if it sucks, I just have to let it suck. Like, and sometimes it's as small as saying to myself that this this is hard or this situation is difficult for me. Um, but I have to allow that first because honestly, when you don't, um, you, I think, don't necessarily truly understand what is going on. Um, and I think you can kind of miss some things. Um, but I also think, you know, one of the things that's most important for my mindfulness practice is like that it just allows me to truly be there for myself, to experience what's going on with me allow it all um, and not to check out on it or anything like that. 
And I think the next phase of that then is also to sort of share it out. I think there's a huge tendency when it comes to failure and loss that the, the kind of like um, other emotion that sort of will come up implicitly and we may not always know it is shame and we want to hide it. And a lot of times when we have failed, um, a lot of times we may feel like we shouldn't be around people, but that's when we need them the most because they'll help us do that. And obviously, if you've got strong self-compassion skills built up, you know, you may be able to do some of this on your own. But um, even people with the most robust self-compassion practices um, probably need help from their supporters in times of loss or failure. So I kind of separate it where I have to allow and accept the suckiness first. And then I can more clearly understand um, what I can learn from the situation. So you're saying accept the suck. <laughs> accept the suck. There's don't not start, a way around it. Don't start immediately trying to change your mindset because I think that's what a lot of us do, right? I think that's kind of what you're saying, Claire, is that like we just immediately try to shift to this is no big deal. I've got this shit. Like, well, no one... I, I see. I, I understand what you're saying. I think <laughs> when you are hurting and feeling from what happened, it's really easy for that self-analysis to turn into self-criticism. And ultimately I think that's going to be self-defeating. Yeah. I feel like I'm always uh, in the, as a business owner, I mean, I, I am breaking down every month. <laughs> I'm thinking every business is failing. I'm like, how am I going to manage everything. Cause, um, you know, I mean, I feel like every, every, and you know, we have a great business and it's, it's successful, but as any Susie, you know, when you have your own business, I, it's hard every month you're like, okay, I need to make X amount so I can pay up my overhead. And sometimes you're really close inching in <laughs> like, am I going to make it? And, um, I definitely, I mean, Claire, I mean, I literally cry in my office at least once a month <laughs> and I'm like, what am I, where, what are we going to do? And I'm, I am lucky that my husband is my partner actually, because he, he actually understands exactly what's going on. Um, and a lot of people always ask me, how can I work with him? But it's actually a, a blessing because no one else is going to understand what's going on except for him. And then he's my voice of reason where I tell you, it's okay. We're going to make it, you know? And, um, and I tell him, I know we're going to make it. Of course we're going to make it, but just let me cry. <laughs> Let's talk about self-compassion. Yeah. I think that, um, you know, having self-compassion can be a really powerful um, tool for helping us manage failure, right? Um, you know, treating ourselves with kindness um, and kind of supporting ourselves just like we would a good friend. And it sounds like you know, I hope, Sarah, that you're you're giving yourself some self-compassion. I'd love to know kind of what what that looks like for you. Oh, I mean, well, <clears throat> I you know, it's funny because um, it might have looked different. My life is totally the way I am is very different now as a mom than when I was younger. Right. I definitely I didn't when I was younger, I was of the mindset that I don't really see failure. Um because I was young. I'm like, so what? You know, my goal was, you know, to live my life <laughs> and not have to worry about anybody else. And now I'm married with a baby. Um, so, you know, um, 
So the same tools I use for my daughter, right? Gentle parenting, conscious parenting, I use on myself, right? I'm like, okay, like, right? Being your, your emotion, recognize your emotion. This is, I, I let myself be upset. I let myself cry. And then, you know, okay, well, what can I do to make it better? What do I need to do for the next time? Um, and I definitely like to work out too. That helps me every day, you know, get those endorphins running um, early in the morning. Um, but I think just uh, talking it out and planning it out for me, maybe because I'm a type A, um, you know, what can I do the next, which I think most attorneys might be a type A type people, right? It's like, what can I do next month? So I'm not in this position again, or maybe I just need a, maybe it's just the stress of the job and I just need to release, you know, my frustrations through crying. Which is a very appropriate thing to do. That's why we cry, right? Like I remember, you know, I think people are maybe in the past more would reprimand children for crying, like crying won't fix it, but it's like crying isn't meant to fix the problem. Like it's a, it's an expression of an of emotion, right? It's okay. a release. Exactly. I mean, I cry when I'm happy, when I'm sad, when I'm angry, even when I'm angry, I will cry. <laughs> Claire, what about you? So what is exactly the question of how do I use self-compassion? Yeah. Was that yeah. what it was? Yeah. Um, so uh, it is something that's really essential. It is something I teach. It's part of what I talk about in my book. So when I started talking about mindfulness originally, um, most people I still see don't talk about the compassion aspect as much um, when they're talking to professionals, even though most mindfulness teachers always emphasize both mindfulness and compassion. And I think there was a thought somewhere along the line that lawyers couldn't tolerate it or didn't want to hear it. And when I learned about what compassion was and its role, I was like, it's exactly what lawyers do every day. So the clinical definition of compassion is the response to suffering. And so unlike empathy, compassion is something that we can have for ourselves just like someone else. And in fact, the response of compassion for someone else is the same response that we can learn to offer ourselves. It's just that for cultural reasons, we often don't do that. And so we kind of might have to train ourselves and practice a little bit to offer the same things. But when you're talking about compassion and soothing and comforting and caring, it's the same thing we do for everyone else. Like, right, it's our, it's our voice, how we talk to people. It's our manner of presenting and our, our body language, how we approach people. It's using potentially touch um, in a soothing way, um, warmth. Um, care of the body, those are all ways that we can, we do and can show compassion for others. It's simply using those same practices for ourselves. And I think some of the times, especially lawyers in service positions, um, professions or moms who are used to taking care of others, we forget or we feel for some reason, I think sometimes we can feel a sense of validation from serving others. So we emphasize that more. But I think what you will find is the more that you are compassionate with yourself, the more you have to offer others um, and just the better you feel and the more effective you will be at it. Um, and so those kind of practices are what you can do. Um, and you can also learn to cultivate this through meditation practice. My favorite style is loving kindness. Um, and I love that practice because it starts by sending loving kindness to yourself. Um, I know that's the place most people will struggle with but there's definitely ways to cultivate and learn these things. 
um, and build them into your life. And you will see phenomenal differences um, in terms of failure and everything else um, if you start to use them. Will you talk about that just briefly, Claire, a loving kindness meditation, like what that looks like and what that means? Yeah. So loving kindness is kind of a dynamic practice and it does take some time. You can learn to do it and try doing it in like bits and pieces. Um, but that's why my book is actually structured the way it is. So it has stair steps where you learn sort of the bits and pieces that go into loving kindness over the course of a month. So that's how the practice is sort of structured. But it includes awareness of the body. Um, and then you bring individuals to mind. You send them loving phrases. The, the traditional ones are, may you be happy, may you be healthy, may you be safe, and may you be at peace. You can kind of play with those phrases if you don't like those. Um, but you bring yourself to mind, you bring a loved one, a mentor, then a neutral person, a difficult person, and then the whole world. And so this is really more about cultivating loving feelings for like the world at large, including yourself. Uh, and it will be a challenging practice, um, but it's really can be a transformational one as well. Wow. <laughs> Sounds fascinating. Amanda, what about you? love to know a little bit about how you deal with self-compassion for yourself and maybe how you work with your clients on that. Yeah, I think um, one of the things that I think is really important when it comes to showing ourselves compassion, and I love what Sarah said earlier about, you know, how she talks to her daughter, you know, that's something that I've thought about a lot and, and talk about a lot is like, would you talk to your kids that way? Would you talk to your daughters that way? Um, so I think that that is really useful, but I think separating yourself from your accomplishments as well as your failures. I think as lawyers or as high achieving professional women, it's we very much are taught we are our accomplishments, right? Like what type, like what tier is your law school that you get into? Did you pass the bar exam, right? Like big law, like there's all of these like criteria and things that we're taught we're supposed to want and supposed to accomplish. And then that makes us something, right? So as opposed to like, if we don't meet those criteria, then we are less than. So I think, and then we kind of carry that, you know, if you litigate, you win or you lose, right? Like there's just so much that is very accomplishment focused in the law, which is fine, but we don't need to take that on as who we are as people and as our, you know, like, to use a litigation analogy, right? Sometimes you lose on facts, right? Like sometimes you just have bad facts. <laughs> so there's nothing that you can do to win. Like it has nothing to do with your abilities as a lawyer, right? The facts are just bad. So kind of taking that in and using it everywhere in your life, whether it's in your legal practice, whether it's in, you know, whatever else you're trying to achieve or what you're deeming as a failure or a success, like you can celebrate your accomplishments and grieve your failures without taking them on as something personal to your identity. And I think when we create more of that separation, it's easier to have compassion for ourselves when things don't. Uh-oh. Amanda was saying something amazing there and you kind of, it kind of cut out, but you were just saying, if you could just wrap that up about um, having compassion for yourself, like by separating, separating yourself a bit from your, your accomplishments. Yeah. And I just think the more we separate ourselves from our accomplishments, I think the last part that maybe cut out, as I said, we can celebrate our successes and grieve our failures without taking that on as an identity. And so the more we have that separation, the easier it is to have compassion for ourselves when things don't go as planned. 
I love that so much, Amanda. I just had to force you to say it twice because I thought it was <laughs> thought it was so good. I was like, we got to make sure we get that in there. <laughs> I think, and I think that's so common too for attorneys to take on the role, especially of our clients. We want to win not just for ourselves but for them, and so we put a lot of energy and emotion right into it. So when it doesn't work out, we think it's us, right? It was our like as if it's our actual like um it's obviously our case as a lawyer but as if it's, it was also our case personally and i think a lot of attorneys struggle with that i know my husband does he really really struggles with every case and that i mean makes him a brilliant attorney but i also have to tell him that you are not your case we can do a great job without being emotionally um uh i don't know how to say it but you know emotionally uh, uh tied to it right? Um, we can still do a great job. So I agree. I definitely agree that in our profession, separating is so important. Guys, thank you all so much for talking with me today about navigating failure. I really hope that and the content here is helpful for anyone listening to it. I know that I learned a lot. Um, I would love to just kind of wrap up and let each of you tell people um, where they can find you. And I will start with Sarah. <laughs> You're right above me. So where, right. can people, where can people find you, Sarah? We look like the Brady Bunch. <laughs> yeah, this is the Brady Bunch look. <laughs> um, so ovandobowen.com. Uh, our phone number is 949-490-4884. And we practice all over the state of California. Thank you so much. I'm so glad that you are here and sharing Thank your you experience. Having me and insight into this extremely important topic. Amanda. Yeah, so you can find me on Instagram at Glitter and Gravitas. That is my favorite place to hang out. I'm also on Facebook at Glitter and Gravitas as well. I just don't have quite as much fun over there. So I prefer <laughs> to be over on Instagram. And then you can also check out my website at glitterandgravitas.com. And I do have a blog over there that has tons of mindset hacks and human design things and all sorts of good stuff that goes a lot along the lines of what we've talked about here today. So you can check that out as well. Yes. Follow her Instagram. As she says, that's where she likes to play. And I think that's such a fun mindset. We've talked about that. So, she knows my mindset around Instagram, <laughs> but um, thank you so much for, for being here, Amanda. And yes, y'all go check out her blog. She's got so many great resources, resources, and um, she's awesome. So I love it. Thank you. So Claire. All right. I uh, love LinkedIn actually. So Instagram. Uh, <laughs> makes me feel, LinkedIn. <laughs> yeah. It, Instagram makes me feel like a failure. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, LinkedIn is where you can find me personally, uh, Claire E. Parsons, and um, you can find the blog brilliantlegalmind.com. Uh, we are also on social media. Most of the social media platforms, LinkedIn and Instagram are actually the two biggest surprisingly. Um, and uh, we have resources, blog posts most weeks and uh, guided meditations and all kinds of things to check out. And you can find information about both books there as well. Now, when is the public publication date for Mommy Needs a Minute? May 2nd. So but it should be available. It is available for pre-order on Kindle right now. And it is becoming available um, in hardback or paperback uh, version um, as well. Uh, but Amazon is taking its sweet time um, with that. Um, but but yeah, it'll be available for pre-order soon. Awesome. 
I'm excited. And congratulations on your second book. It's, you. Uh, you know, first of all, kind of like, you know, as Sarah said, um, it, you know, for, it's hard to write a book. Like, you know, a lot of us put it into the world. We want to write a book. We all, <laughs> we have that. That's hard enough. But you've, you know, at this point you've done, you've written two and you published one and you you're going to be publishing your second one very, very shortly. So congratulations. I'm so excited for you, Claire. Thank you. And on both of them, I had help and support and did not do it all by myself. And that was the <laughs> best decision I ever made. So just keep that in mind. You don't have to do the big, scary project by yourself. That's good to know, right? And we're not <laughs> alone. Seek support and help from people who are awesomer at certain aspects than you are. Yes. <laughs> Thank you all so much for being here. If you enjoyed this show and you want to stay updated on future Legally Bliss content, included when we go live in the conference room, make sure you hit the subscribe button and the, li the little bell. And I don't want you to miss any content. And I'm really excited to announce that um, every Wednesday at 1 p.m. Eastern time, I'm going to be going live in either a roundtable format or an interview with a, um, a female lawyer or someone who is t uh, closely related to the industry, or I might just be talking by myself. So, and that's actually what I'm going to be talking, I'm going to be doing next week. I'm actually going to be talking about how we can leverage uh, legal tech and AI into our practices. So uh, make sure you subscribe so you'll know when that happens. And remember, um, failure is an option. And if things are not failing, maybe you're not innovating enough. So don't be afraid to take risks and try new things, even if you might experience what we like calling epic fails. Embrace your failures, learn from them, and keep pushing forward. I really hope today's discussion has inspired you to adopt a growth mindset when it comes to failure. And I hope that you keep striving for success even in the face of failure. Thank you so much for watching and I hope to see you next week. Bye.